Taking place at the end of 2022, the live event was a collaboration between the Museum of London and the Royal Society of Literature. The talk was inspired by the museum's display, Grime Stories, from the corner to the mainstream, which explored the enduring impact of the genre and its footprint on youth culture today. Here, writers Yomi Shode and Kayo Chengonyi further celebrate and examine the two art forms and the ways they inform one another in a discussion hosted by Toby Kiramateng. Hi everyone, my name is Toby. Thanks for stepping out tonight. This is really exciting that these are two poets that I am really inspired by. So I'm very gassed to be having this conversation with you two. But before we start the conversation, we're going to watch your film, Distant Daily. Do you want to introduce it? Do you want to talk a bit about it? Um, sure thing. Hi folks, evening. How are we? Yeah? Wicked, we're not looking for no golf, no Wimbledon crowd, yeah? We're just, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a party. We're looking for them kind of vibes. Don't give us lecture vibes. No PowerPoint vibes. Um, Distant Daily Ijo is a poem that is special to me. So Ijo in Yoruba, I'm Nigerian. And my community is Yoruba and Ijo translates as dance. And there was this, there's this thing, there's this hybrid between grime and my community that I really wanted to mesh in one. And I think, because the whole title in itself, Distant Daily Dance, I feel like we live a distant daily dance in life generally. However chaotic that is, it comes with beauty as well at the same time. And it's interspersed with how we identify in between it. And we have to make sense of all of these things in some way, shape or form. So it's the idea that I'm going to a grime rave or any rave with my boys, knowing that at any given point, it could pop off. Knowing at any given point, that we have to be there for each other. Knowing at any given point, the scariest part is that something might happen, someone might get really injured, but oh my God, how much are we enjoying the time right now? And I think it speaks to the danger and to the beauty of just what that entire experience is from a community that I represent and represents me. So it's, it's almost all of these worlds colliding to some that might seem really scary but to me is a space to vent. It's a space to sweat a lot because, boy, some of, these, some of these sports, they ain't got no AC in there, boy. <laughs> it's a space, it's a communal, it's a communal space and a language that I think only a certain, commun- a certain generation will understand. And interestingly enough, if you're not of that ilk, if you're not from that, you can get out it straight away. We'll just know. We'll just know if you're not used to it. If this, is, if this ain't for you, we'll just, we'll just spot you from afar. You can even smell. Nah, this ain't your situation. So I think it's that. I think it's a lot of things where some people might find it really scary. We just find it as home. And I guess for me, it's that distant daily dance of the everyday, but we're still here and we're still existing. And it was just such a, a beautiful thing to make the video yeah, I can talk in it more, but just, 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 yeah, just enjoy the video and we, and we get back in the mix. Awesome. Distant Daily Ijo. The nesting of Igbo smoke entangled on ruly kinks. The testosterone wiped from foreheads. 
listening to these sounds be confessions guiding us through the night. Our peoples tuck into themselves or lions on our Arawa for survival. Think you're a big boy because you go gym. Knuckles grind more than teeth. Bass strums the thinnest of veins. I wonder why this body contorts to each melodic drop, turning the insides of my stomach how spatulas do pancakes. Why I head nod in the jaw, as if each gun finger shut above pierces clouds before reaching a half-lit moon, a, a libation of bodies. Why I'm arms out in the jaw, palms striking walls damp from a defeated week in ritual. Stinging hands that sing, singeing ash on each other's skin, but two drunks to give two fucks. My adura, a something on Sundays in exchange for lyrics that feel closer to the ends. I have yet to see a parting of seas, but I have witnessed riots and still fear police that fear this body. Owawa, dry and unloved, yet they stretch like vines to gods that look and dress like us. Murder charge ain't a joke and laugh. You think that you're shallow, but you can't even jump in the bath. Mugboy, you with deceased friends, then wake to relish time moments with the living. So when you chant grime, but I've never cut a toothpaste in half and struggled to squeeze out its remains, you are merely a fan. And I will outdance that fetish. I will skank, splatter its appropriation in chalk. I will dance, flexing his arm, bending this knee. In this derelict space, love is a musky current in the room you dare not question. It's as though it doesn't exist. Even if I had a big house in the country, I wouldn't stay caged up like a monkey. Master of ceremonies. You carry the heart of a trumpeter. The beat is not just the beat, it is DM me, jumping from body to body to body, the soundtrack of an offering. Wah, and feel this. Skin rippling music, galvanized chaos. Heat drenching clothes as though someone never left music. Each note is a reminder, a name, a knife wound, a scream, a revolution. Never music to dance your cares away to. This music that your children listen to. This violence that young Mark Duggan's boydom stop and search you. Such mingus in this music. Scaling our bones like piano keys. Doing this distant daily ijo of head nods. And nine to five, ijo of bass. And more bass, and more bass. Ijo of praise to the DJ. Ijo of the rage we share the moment a track gets a wheel up. Ijo of the barrel load. The cocking back on steel. The pop, pop. A pause, uh, a stampede of people, a search for those close, a quick feel of the ara, a deeper breath, and the exalted feeling that it wasn't you, ask me, ask me why I find home in a place I could die. There's, I just, there's so much to talk about in terms of distant daily, but also need to read both of your bios, so I'm going to do that now. Before I go into the bios, because this is a gram event, I do want to hone in some of the gram rituals, just to get us feeling just a little bit bubbly, a little bit lively. If you're from North London, make some noise. <laughs> nah, sorry. <laughs> if you're from West London, make some noise. Yeah, okay. If you're from East London, make some noise. 
is, is, is. Are you from East? And South. Uh, so like, we... You won't get into that. If you're from we're, South we're, London, we're, make some noise. Boom. Boom. Oh, you got someone here that's like... North. Oh, it's not, it's not, okay, I don't know the politics of North and Northwest. If you're from Northwest, make some noise. North Weezy. Alright. <laughs> <laughs> I have two amazing artists on the stage with me tonight. I'm going to read the bios that you sent, yes. Yomi Shade is an award, multi-award winning Nigerian-British writer. He is a recipient of the 2019 Jared Compton Poetry Fellowship and was shortlisted for the Brunel International African Poetry Prize in 2021. His acclaimed one-man show, Coat, toured nationally to sold-out audiences, including at the Brighton Festival, Roundhouse Camden and the Batsy Art Centre. In 2020, his liberato, Remnants, written in collaboration with award-winning composer James B. Wilson and performed with Cheneke Orchestra, premiered on BBC Radio 3. In 2021, his play and breathe premiered at the Almeida Theatre to rave reviews. Yomi is a Complete Works alumnus and a member of Malaika's Poetry Kitchen. He's the founder of Boxed In, First Five, The Daddy Diaries and Mentorship Programme 12 in 12. What's also not on here, Yomi Shadow? is your debut poetry collection, Mannerism, which is also nominated for... What's it nominated for, Yomi? <laughs> which, which prize? Which prize? Six days after it came out, it was nominated for the T.S. Eliot, which is incredible. <laughs> I see what these two are on tonight. I see Kaya, what they're on. Kaya, you know you're next. He's next, you know. This is... <laughs> Have a mic as well. <laughs> Kai Chingoni FRSL. Sorry, did you pause? Did you took a pause with the I did, you the, know, between the letters? You know, the letters. Uh, was born in Zambia in 1987 and moved to the UK at the age of six. He is a fellow of the Complete Works Programme for Diversity and Quality in British Poetry mm-hmm. and of the Dream, the Derma Prize by the the Poetry Society, and was Associate Poet at the Institute of Contemporary Arts in 2015. Mm-hmm. His first full-length collection, Kumukanda, won the Dylan Thomas Prize and the Somerset Morgan Award. Kyle was a Burgess Fellow at, at the Centre for New Writing, University of Manchester, before joining Durham University as Assistant Professor of Creative Writing. <laughs> he is a writer and presenter for the music and culture podcast Decode on Spotify, which <laughs> recently won Best New Show and Best Specialist Music Show at the Radio Academy ARIA Awards, as well as Best Entertainment and Smartest Podcast. Smartest Podcast is Isn't like it? a, that's a category. <laughs> Smartest Podcast. <laughs> you made it for us. Uh, <laughs> at the British Podcast Awards. Kaya is also a poetry editor, heading up the first dedicated poetry list at Bloomsbury Publishing. His most recent collection, A Blood Condition, was shortlisted for the Ford Prize for Best Collection, the T.S. Eliot Prize, and the Costa Poetry Award. His memoir, Prodigal, is forthcoming from Fourth Estate. Hoy! Make some noise for Kaya Chingoni. <laughs> Powers. I want to start with, I guess, like the genesis, the genesis or the beginning, because I feel like something that you both share is your genesis kind of starting with lyrics or starting with music in some respect. What was the first track or album that you listened to that really ignited something within you that would eventually 
work its way into the work that you would create or the poems that you might write? Couple things, like the very, very first thing that I remember lyrically connecting with is Buffalo Soldier by Bob Marley when mm. I was like four years old. I spoke English a bit, but like I didn't understand exactly everything that was going on in the song, but that whole album, my parents loved it. And like the protest on the album, I feel like it comes out in some of the stuff I write and the storytelling, I guess. And yeah, just sound, the attention to sound in that tune particularly, that's the one that caught me the first time I heard that album. So yeah, that and then later, later probably like um, The Infamous by Mob Deep. Mm. Between 15 and 18, I listened to that album a lot. In particular, like, I'm only 19, but my mind is old. That, that line just, it did something. Then when I came to listen to Grime, it kind of contextualized that whole, the whole scene to think of it in that way. Like, it's a, yeah, a young people's thing, or it was. <laughs> we were talking about, like, being legacy Grime fans, being, like, <laughs> the grum- grumpy... <laughs> Yeah, I liked it when it was in 2003. But <laughs> I listened to it on cassette. We know about cassette. All the TDKs, the pencil, just to kind of swing it back. With the pencil. It's generational, but when it gets stuck, the And then the battery runs out and the tune starts going slow. Showing our age, bro. We're what you know about age. that? But yeah, yeah, the infamous. Yeah, that whole album. Um, For me... The first, I thought I was buying a single, but I ended up buying an album. I went in, W. H. Smith, no, no Woolworths. Am I going mad? R.I.P. Woolworths. Woolworths. Do you know what I mean? No Woolworths with a little. So we had a pattern of the heart just there. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> when I bopped into Woolworths, I was just like, I was just like, I want that, and it was Oasis, Wonderwall, mm. and um. Because I can't kind of see this guy. I'm just like, I'm hearing, like, the first time, like, I paid attention to what someone's saying. And I was like, properly, I kind of got into that. And I ended up getting an album, just like, raw, like, what, £10 for, like, one song? I'm like, what is this? Because I didn't necessarily know. <laughs> I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't know. I wanted one song, and I got more songs. I just thought, oh, I got more songs, more from this, <laughs> this band. This is what it is. So I got that, I got that, I got that. And I listened to all of that, and it was cool. And then I got Tupac, All Eyes On Me. And then it was Little Kim Hardcore. So I got three albums with three different spaces in terms of what it was going. And this was my introduction lyrically to how these songs were. One of them, I could not listen with my mum around. I know that for damn sure. Actually, for the most part, two of them. But I didn't pay attention to lyrics properly until Busta Rhymes. I remember Busta Rhymes. And I remember... Just memorize, hit you, know, hit you with no delay into what you're saying, yo. Silly with the nine milli with the... Hey, listen... When I be on the mic, as I do, I, I was everything. Because the cadence, because my thing then was, if I can rap as fast as Buster Rhymes, then I'm set. Because there was a certain thing about Buster Rhymes in a way that he was just flipping his lyrics that just stayed with me, that I really, really, really enjoyed. So When Disaster Strikes was a big album for me. And I just remembered really paint, especially like Dangerous and all these different tunes. And then just to Kyle's point, for me, when it came to grime, it didn't kick in until Soul Solid. It, everything kicked in when the sound just went a bit darker. So Soul Solid, the Delight FM, Soul Solid Sundays, when these guys would just be on the radio on a Sunday, you get your tape, cassette tape ready to record, and they're just flinging out different dubs. So Ashidi's Woe, got Superman. 
you got the 20. Everyone knows 21 seconds now, yeah? But there's a 21 seconds where all of them had 21 seconds that their verses. No one really knows Neutrino's 21 seconds verse. Super Nooch, Abraham, I still know these verses. So the one that you got now, everyone knows the 21 seconds now, but of that time, there was an opportunity where, every, where we heard all of their verses. And I was super annoyed that certain man did not make it on that record because I was like, some of them verses were amazing. So for me, for grime, and then it went into grime, grime, but my entry point lyrically was so solid and how they flipped the script on what people just considered like champagne music. You get in a dance with Gary, you just want to have a good time. Now you're going all screw face in a dance. You're like, rah, what is, what's this tension about? So I think for me, that was like a, an entry lyrically into how things then kind of went forward. And I think uh, for you, Yomi, obviously like that, there might be some people here that know you as Yomi Shode. You're going there, innit? <laughs> but that's not, you've had many aliases. You're going there. One of them... Well done, well done. <laughs> one of them being greets. Well done. They'll wind up. <laughs> Grief. I think she was up to something, you know. <laughs> it was that smile when you came in, you know. <laughs> that mischievous smile. I knew it. Talk to us about greeds, because I feel like, even with mannerism now, greeds is in mannerism. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we kind of need to know who greeds is in order to contextualise wow. some of the specifics of mannerism. So this was this would have been off of a sampler with Nutty P. And if you don't know Nutty P, I don't know what to say. So Nutty P is like UK producer. He's worked with like early days Estelle, do you know what I mean? And Baby Blue, numerous hip hop artists. My thing at the time was it sounds a bit it sounds a bit bossy, but I'm gonna fall right in with the bossy because my thing was you got rappers, you got grime artists, and I'm just like poets can also be as in popular culture, as well as you see all the different musicians. So my thing was, I'm, I have these poems. And what I'm going to do with these poems is, I'm going to take your beats and I'm going to, I'm going to perform my poems over these beats. Because my thing is, who 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 says that poetry just has to be over a piano? Not to kind of take shots at folks that. <laughs> <laughs> Not to take shots at poets that only feel like their music, anything musical needs to be over a piano or something that's emotive. I'm like, no, I want it to be over. So on the samplers, there's, there's poems over Arctic Monkeys. There's poets over, there's poems over like JME's, some of JME's beats. This is my beat specifically. But Greed's was very much, so it stands for generating rhymes to engage in Latin soul. And I, and I suppose, but then even when that, I've got an album, it's on Spotify and stuff, and I got an EP called Ready. And it's a mix of rock tracks, scar tracks. Got a lot of love songs in your discography as well. I'm a person. You You know, my heart is so warm. What can I say? (laughs) But I guess the whole whole process was just to be like, and I guess a lot of it speaks to mannerism in a sense of just not conforming to what people should believe poetry should be or to what are the aesthetics of poetry do you know what I mean like what who created these rules as to what poetry what spoken word how poetry should be heard should be engaged do you know what I mean like it's it's so yes I took these beats and I wrote poems over them and it's a vibe it's an absolute vibe and I felt the freedom in doing it there are three samplers 
out there on, on somewhere that you can download. And I guess that was just it. And I think it speaks to the book because in the same way with the book, I don't want to feel like I'm being boxed in any given sense. I want to create something on my own terms. So it's stayed, it's been with me right from like 2010 till now going forward. I don't ever want to feel like this is what you feel like I should be doing. See what I mean? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Kai, like you're you're the same. As well, in the why are you why are you looking shit? Because <laughs> I was watching some interviews that you did on YouTube some time ago, where also even your title as an artist has shifted. And this is when you were calling yourself a lyricist, and then you were a lyrical poet, then you were like a essayist, and then a poet, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But you, in these interviews, you talk really beautifully about the way that you decide to utilize language like as if there are no rules essentially that you kind of take what you want from different rhyming schemes or different rhythms and you decide that this is the way that anything that you perform or anything that you write is meant to be or meant to flow and I guess for you when it comes to your lyricism I think as someone that also feels like you your work is very rhythmic how do you feel like music or grime in particular and I guess like the rhythm of grime or the rhyming schemes of grime influenced your work it was like a key and direct influence because I grew up around a time when Like, as a lyricist, I was into rap, I guess. Like, I got into lyricism, I guess, late 90s, early 2000s, and I was listening to rap. And then I was listening to UK rap, which was like a version of that same US sound. And then garage lyricism came into my life and, like, that whole champagne, whatever, whatever (laughs) thing I was trying to do hadn't tasted no champagne. But I borrowed my mum's Moschino belt and that was good enough. Um, And with Grime, like, actually Grime came into my life at a point that I was writing poetry, observing my world. So I would be the person, like, in the radio set, like, observing, capturing, being, like... And that's as much... That's as much as part of the scene. Like, someone with a camera, someone taking photographs, someone, like designing clothing like all of it is part of the culture Mm. and like I've got some grime lyrics but for me what captured my heart was just like to be haunted by the instrumentals to be in that room where it happens where that passion yeah and just to capture that from time to time in my writing to bring it into not necessarily to quote lyrics but to just drop them in from time to time like Mm. is like that's part of the reason I chime with Yomi's work so much in this book is because, like, there are all those different registers. One minute you're talking about Southeast London, but you could also be talking about, like, classical Western painting and, like, setting it side by side. Mm. And as you say, like, I'm trying to bring things together in those kinds of ways, like, mm. to collapse the boundaries between things. And mostly for myself, like, I used to have this false kind of separation between this is me as a lyricist, as a rapper, or whatever, and this is me who writes poetry. Mm. And I'm more interested in bringing the two together. Where do you think that separation came from? It comes from th- thinking about what other people might make of the work, really. And, like, if anyone writes in the audience, makes music in the audience, whatever, like, make this... 
Make whatever it is you make and then think about the rest afterwards. Don't think about it before you make anything because you won't make anything. Mm-hmm. You'd be thinking like, what will people think though? What if I... Like, if you have that in mind too early in the process, it stifles the process. Mm. I would be like freestyling rap bars, but I wouldn't write them down. I'd just let them go. I don't know why. It's equally poetic. Mm. There's equal poetic richness in that. So I'm just trying to honor that lately. Just to add, when I wrote Distant Daily Joe, it's really weird as well how it's kind of turned out. Because when I first read it, it was at Albany in Deford. I was up, like, my seat was like all the way up. I finished performing this. And from down, from right down in the front row was Caleb. Femi, and he, and he looked up and he was just like, gang, 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 gang. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it sat well. And then the next time was in 2019. We were both at a murky event. Mm. And just randomly. So Kyle does this thing where you're talking, 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 and then he will just drop something. And he's like, what, 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 what? Did I? So we're just having a casual conversation. And Kyle's like, yeah, you know how I teach Distant Daily Joe in my lectures in uni? I'm like, fam, what? How? And then he's just like, yeah, so how's your day? I'm just like, I'm like, and for those that have mannerism under Distant Daily Joe, it's acknowledging both Caleb and Kyle for just that. Because at a point where I'm just feeling like I want to speak something that, is a, that I identify with. Mm. It's an honour to know that it's also received by two people who I, who I respect and two people who also get it without me having to break it down. And separately, they've shown their own acknowledgements and I think it speaks to everything that you just spoke to just now. Mm. But yeah, big up, my guy. <laughs> Kai, I'm going to ask you to read a poem. I think I first heard you perform this poem... Probably one of the first times that I met you and it just stuck with me because I think you just described the dancery or the feeling of being in a dancery so succinctly in a way that, you know, I was very still much new to the poetry community and what I was absorbing was very American. And then you have like the most softly spoken person (laughs) come on the stage and start talking about gun fingers and all this stuff. And I'm just like, is this allowed? Like... (laughs) But it's, it's such a beautiful poem. So yeah, I would love for you to share it. Yeah, I'll read it. The poem's called Some Bright Elegance, which is in reference to a quotation from Amiri Baraka in a poem he has called The Dance. The line is, and all his words ran out of it, that there was some bright elegance, the sad meat of the body made. And this is the poem. For the screw-faced in good shoes that paper the walls of dance halls, I have little patience. I say dance, not to be seen but free. Your feet are made for better things. Feel the bitterness in you lift as it did for a six-year-old Bojangles, tapping a living out of Richmond beer gardens to the delight of a crowd that wasn't lynching today but laughing at the quickness of the kid. Throw yourself into the thick, emerging pure, reduced to flesh and bone, nerve and sinew, Your folded arms understand music. Imagine a packed Savoy ballroom and slide across the dusty floor as your zoot-suited 20s self. The feather in your hat from an ostrich. The swagger in your step from the ochre dust of a West African village. Dance for the times you've been stalked by store detectives. For a lady on a bus for the look of disgust on the face of a boy too young to understand why he hates, but only that he must. Dance for Sammy, dead and penniless, and for the thousands still scraping a buck 
as street corner hoofers, who, though they dance for their food, move as if it is just them and the drums talking. beautiful the dancery and movement as a physical space that you embody but also as like a space that you like physically embody in yourself runs throughout mannerism like it's such a it's such a distinct part of the work there are poems in there that I can visualize in my head as I'm reading them and I think with your work as well as music the physicality of music has always been a part of it as well. And I know you you tried a lot of things this year in terms of expanding and stretching yourself and your work. What do you think the connection is between music or grime in particular and you moving in these spaces? Maybe your ability to express or your ability to heal I want to tell a quick story before you answer that, which I hope you don't mind me sharing. Go for it, go. So I remember I called you once randomly and you were in Amsterdam. I didn't know you were in Amsterdam. And you were in the queue, I think, to like a club or something. And someone had just passed away. And you're like, yeah, I'm in Amsterdam and I'm with all these people and we're just about to step into this dance. And I know you have a poem about this as well. In, manner, in mannerism and in my head I was like oh, this is such a this is the perfect space of grieving for your me in terms of like I'm going to go into a dance with my boys and we're just going to move to this music and that is carried throughout mannerism and throughout your work so I just want you to kind of talk about that relationship a bit and then I want you to read some of your work as well it wasn't something I even know was a thing when I applied for Joewood initially <laughs> in like 2018 no 2017 2018 I wanted to toy with the idea of movement and I was really interested in how words move in the body bearing in mind folks I ain't no dancer there's nothing of a single dance in my That's a lie. That's, first of all, noise. that is a lie. Stop your noise. In a dance, you might catch me one, two, skank. Do you know what I mean? What my knees can hold and what my kind of hips can hold. But part of like choreography, you know, I done one dance lesson. I came in for a week. I'm like, you expect me to learn this whole choreography in like what? Two hours. You lot have lost your minds. And I walked out. But my thing is I've always been driven in this kind of unknown, unknown thing. Because I'm just like, what's the worst that can happen if, it's, if I'm trying to unlock this new side of creativity? Because all my thing is just literature. And Molly can attest to this. In our first meeting that we had, I'm just like, I'm very interested in how literature can move through these different art forms, these different mediums, right? And for me, it was movement. That night in Amsterdam, I was in a queue and my grand-aunt, my grandma's sister, literally just passed. It was December 5th. Mm-hmm. She died on December 4th. It was the next day. It was the evening. It was the ne- No, it was December 6th because we were there for two days. It was the evening. And you just called, you did. Toby just called me randomly just to check in to see how I was, not knowing that I was in Amsterdam about to go into this dance. 
And thank you for that call and thank you for the time. And then I went into this dance and my cousin, whose mum just passed literally two days prior, he's with my band of brothers. One of them is actually here right now tonight. And we were just dancing. We were just dancing, dancing. And Kendrick was playing, we're going to be all right. And I started crying up the place. I started crying up this place. And then I walked off. I split my jeans in two places that night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was all true. Like, I split my jeans. I walked off in a corner, and I'm watching my band of brothers just look after my cousin. Because he was the reason that we, like, my mum sent us all away. And he was who I wanted to be protected and looked after. And I'm crying just watching the love he was getting in this kind of mad crowd of people. And my boy was just like, oh, he took a picture of me and he thought I was drunk. And my hand, I still got the picture, my hand was covering my face. And then I told him the next day that I was actually crying when he took the picture. And he was like, bro, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm like, bro, man, it's all right, it's cool, you're not to know. And then the South Bank shows happened a few weeks ago. And this was a perfect opportunity to show what these words can do in the body. And it's one of the most scariest things I think I've done because I don't think I have a control of how far it will push me. Mm-hmm. Kenrick Sandy, Boy Blue, Kenrick, he pushed me to the absolute limits just to be like, if you're going to feel something, feel it enough that you can feel the thump of your chest as soon as you hit it. You do that three times round of a poem, you're crying instantly, instantly. The fact that I had to do that three days in a row, two, three nights in a row, rehearsals four months in advance to this, the movement side of this was something I took very, very serious because I'm not performing poems here. I'm actually moving in order to make these poems come to life, literature come to life. And that's one thing that's always stayed with me is that it doesn't have to stay in this, just in this one space. Like it just doesn't have to sit in a book. I feel like I'm staunch advocate. I sound like I'm so against it. I'm not, but I'm just like, it doesn't have to stay in a book. There are so many ways it can leap out of it. And this was just one of those ways for me that I was very curious for it to leap out. And it's a very vulnerable way. And I don't necessarily recommend it for everyone unless if you know what you're stepping into. And for me, I knew what I was stepping into, but even in saying that, I still wasn't ready when I was fully there. But here I was, do you know what I mean? And, and, And I'll never turn back time to be like, I don't want to do it again. So yeah, I hope that kind of answers it. No, it does. Before I ask you to read, Kaya, I know you're trying to teach your students about D-double at your university. How do you do that? Especially if there's a generation of people that maybe didn't grow up with D-double or maybe don't appreciate certain things about him that I guess is is locked in nostalgia or, Mm. or legacy. How do you unlock these aspects of music and grime and and teach them Mm. in a way that still holds the authenticity of the work and the music but within an educational institution I feel like it's um, returning to what you've just been saying Yomi of like the embodied sensation that's behind whatever music you're listening to, whatever text you're reading, there's some embodied sensation that made it. And with D-Double, it's like thinking about the bits of music that can't be notated, that arise out of like a spontaneous overflow of feeling. Like if you're in that room or if you want to cut through on a sound system, like what is it that you do with your voice in order to make that happen? And like, 
what was it for D-Double to be like, I don't know, was he at home practicing like the D-Double signal or what? Like, I don't know. Like, what prompted him to do that? And then when he did it the first time, like, that sensation that happens when people hear it and he's not saying any words, he's just making sounds. Yeah, it's making, yeah, trying to get people to appreciate that embodied aspect of ev like every art form, but especially text. We think about it so much in the book, we lose sight of that aspect that it has of moving the body as well as the mind. And yeah, that's, the, that's where we begin. And once we've done that, it's not to say that the understanding is completely there, but there's like a, there's an affinity that opens up where you can kind of appreciate. And that's important, I feel like. I think I really started to feel that when... So I, I listen to Decode, obviously. Multi-Walden podcast, smartest podcast. Um, and if anyone hasn't listened to Decode, um, there's a podcast called Dissect, which is an American podcast, which dissects albums. Decode is the UK version of that, which Kayo leads and narrates. And I think season two was Skepta's Konnichiwa album, which I love. And listening to you go through it song by song, but I guess like pull out the sounds, pull out the forwards, the wheel-ups, pull out Skepta's journey. I think it really, it did exactly what you're talking about. It placed me within the physicality of the album in a way that I wasn't before. Mm. So everyone should go listen to it. It's really good. <laughs> Yomi, before we go into Q&As, I'm giving yeah, you a warning, Q&As. I'm going to ask you to read a poem from Mannerism, if you will. There are many poems in here that I love, but I, I will ask you to pick which one that you would like to read. Oh, God. I'll read karaoke. People don't feel forced if you don't know these lyrics. If you do, absolutely feel emboldened to kind of take over with your systems and let it happen. We've done this last week at the National Gallery and the people were just like, what the hell's going on? We're like, we're having a party. <laughs> Do you know, interesting story about karaoke. It was the poem that I had to fight for in this book. Not because it wasn't wanted. It absolutely was, was needed. But it was a thing of the way you heard it in Distant Daily Joe that will be costing me and costing Penguin a lot of money. <laughs> so the conversation was around how can we still keep these lines and without losing the essence of this? Because this was the poem that I was fighting for. And the reason why I was fighting for it was because if anyone's kind of on my IG or if you saw the stuff at National last week, you see the impact of what these lines have done for a generation of people, for me, for like my friends, because it's what we've listened to in time. These bars of reassurance has gotten us through some really shit moments in life. Do you know what I mean? And I think I'm very, very thankful that fight was something that was a universal kind of like, yeah, we need to keep it in. So we found a loophole, people. <laughs> we find a loop, we find a loop. So, if this is to your systems, if you are of the channel U, MTV base, RIP to both, era. What else am I missing? Is that AKA? AKA, oh my God, channel AKA. We're RIP. really. Uh, RIP. Choice of Fair. Choice of Fair. Oh. RIP. Yes, we are here. This is for y'all and everything. YNWA, a karaoke interlude for channel U and MTV base. The DJ dedicates an hour of her show to nostalgia. And I mean, my daughter's face chanting, two multiplied by 10 plus one. Bro, you lot, don't be shy, man. 
Don't be shy. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. Thinking about, and you know, there's a generation who don't know none of these lines. Don't worry. Don't worry. Did you wave? Don't worry. Don't do it in shame. Don't worry. We're here. There's still time. YouTube does a lot. The DJ dedicates an hour of her show to nostalgia. And I'm in my daughter's face chanting, two multiplied by ten plus one. Thinking about So Solid Sundays and my TDKs ready to record a set. My hands are on my head with, man, I said, show me how you get down. Wow. Rave nights, our knees holding steady as our torsos swayed from side to side. The DJ can barely get past, you're barking up the wrong tree. Ooh, we're testing you. We're testing you. I remember security not having a chance of calming down the chaos in clubs. The thing goes, don't feel shy. Don't feel shy. And my son joins me as I cat, 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 cat with him in unison. I lose him again as the DJ plays the Manners National Anthem. If you're talking the hardest gigs, better bump up in your well done. Napa, 2008, those who know, know. She goes 2017, air horns over the intro, posted on a block like a low life. I grab my can of Fanta and get my accent on. She goes 2002, that, 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 that's mine. Oh, not a soul, we are too old. <laughs> Heartless crew bought the whole shop. Don't worry, you're there. We caught you, we caught you, we caught you. So you're like, I think I know it, I think I know it. I'm sure I know it, I'm sure, I'm sure. The days I was a window shopper, dreaming of Moschino, Ivisu and Averex. My street smarts flash back to 2005. No whip out the man Lincoln chicks, that's slipping. Free game for me to not get caught slipping. 2005, I'm thumping my chest. Look what happened to the motherland, they don't want to... Then it's 2006... Little Derek's doing okay. Little Derek's doing fine, fine. I'm reflecting on the odd kids we mocked in class, how we never knew the homes that, we, that they went back to. Mandem will be mandem. I'm thinking how many men must have masked their pain. These songs have never left. Even in the coldest summer, they nestle in generations of iPods, tucked in trouser pockets and hoodies. Blasted loud in clubs, birthday parties, car chases, or graduations. Lyrics that fill the void of absent parents, expanding the narrow road of hope. These bars of reassurance, of reverence, resistance, when Britain, its politician, and its media gives up too soon. And just a geeky, geeky thing, just to add, in relation to just conforming, not conforming. The last two stanzas are haikus, people. I was very proud of this shit. The one is a traditional haiku and the other one are 17 syllables each. And the thing is, and for me, oh, well, thank you very much. And um, the reason, you know, the reason why I've done that was just to be like a middle finger at least to, a little, to be like, I can also do these forms and I can also do this, but on my own terms. And I can also jar the system by doing it traditional, but I can also jar it by doing it in my own voice. And I guess this is just a thing for writers out there to be like, yeah, you can learn the traditional forms of things, but the true joy comes in when you learn it and you can remix it how the hell you wish. And isn't that fun? Do you know what I mean? So yeah, big up, big up, big up. Awesome.
Okay. So we've got some time for questions. Don't be shy. At the back. You testing, testing. Is that all good? This has been like pretty enlightening for me and shout out to my Zambian brother over there. That was uh, an unsuspected surprise from him. So it's curious to kind of hear you guys speak and kind of been saying this my whole life. And because I've got, I'm a big fan of literature. Like for, for my space in A levels, I did like three sciences and English literature and everyone's like what and for me English was my fun subject right and it's kind of echoed kind of what you said because in my head it's always been once you learn the rules then you get to just play around with everything right so I'm kind of curious as to in terms of where you started in terms of linking it back to grime and that sort of thing or the sonics that helped inspire you where were you both at at the time like for context because obviously you mentioned the music and stuff and on my part I began actually disliking grime with a passion. Probably more because of like rap and Tupac and that kind of thing. I had a certain wave of poetry that hit in my head in which I didn't feel what Dizzy Rascal or Skepta or Jamie could do until I heard Kano. And it was Brown Eyes that got me and I was like, okay. It kind of opened up the floor and the fact that you wrapped up with mentioning DWE at the end, for me, Kano was the bud that then spotted my fondness of the genre as a whole because he has one line which is I'm trying to do for the kids what DWE did for me. And even though I'm not from the time where you guys are saying, oh yeah, DW and stuff like that in terms of appreciating, and I've got friends that do, I'm just kind of curious of, in terms of your context, where you were, where that sonic resonated with you on the grime front mm. rather than the hip-hop front uh, that you presented. Um, for me, grime, it kind of trans... Thank you, first and foremost, you know what thank I mean? Um, thank that. That was, that, yeah, that was huge. For me personally, grime transcended music and it went into culture as a whole, mm-hmm. right? It was important for me to kind of look at this outside of music and I'll feel like I, I, I am the living embodiment of what this genre is because I live it on a day-to-day basis. I'm walking down the road, I'm talking with my mandem. It's in my language. This is just what it is. There's a poem in mannerism called Street Sermon. And in Street Sermon, what I really wanted to get across, in Street Sermon 1, what I wanted to get across was the violence of this hall. Because it's one thing with the music, it's one thing to kind of celebrate the music, but the culture in itself, mm-hmm. if you live within it, like, you know, the last line of Destin Daily Joe is, ask me why I find home in a place I could die. I don't write that from nowhere. That comes from a lived experience of hearing gunshots go off in a dance and I'm looking around to see if all my friends are safe. Mm-hmm. But one person isn't safe. One person has died. Do you see what I mean? Like, it's come from a place where... And I guess for me, in relation to the sonics of this in Street Summon 1, so Grime, the MCs, whenever they're kind of flowing back to back, they got repetition going all the time. Do you know what I mean? Like, they got their kind of bars where they kind of like... And, I, and, I, and for me, what was my, my response to that in Street Summon 1 was, how can I utilise this craft to give across this language of Grime in this poem. So if and when, hopefully, if you don't have the book, buy it. Uh, 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 <laughs> should you read the poem at any given point, you will notice how repetition is used in Street Summon 1. And that is a direct response of how grime as a language and a culture mm. works. And this is the kind of like the grittier side of this that I'm also representing as well as the karaoke, which is the more joyful bubbly side of it all so that's how I think I that's how not even a think that's how I'm responding directly with the sonics of grime as a whole to kind of enforce my craft in literature but yeah yeah I feel like 
Similarly, it came to me, um, I mentioned I listened to Mob Deep like a lot. And Mob Deep resonated with me because of certain influences in my life, like coming from the background I come from, having lived at certain points in social housing, then not lived in social housing, and like having that like mixture of influences. Being into like T.S. Eliot at the same time as being into Nas and whatever else. I feel like Grimes solidified a certain way of looking at the world that was like a turn of the century way of looking at the world. We came out of the 90s, came out of new labor. Their promises seemed not to have come to fruition. Our olders were like going out raving in the West End, dressed in like expensive clothing, drinking brandy, champagne. The raven drink. We weren't doing all that. (laughs) We weren't doing all that. And yeah, it kind of caught me at a moment where I was like, yes, I love Garage, but it's not, it's not my thing. Like I've never, except after the fact, been out raving to Garage. I was too young. When I listened to Grime, it made more sense to me to be like in a room with like 15 to 20 men, just like spitting bars, sweating up, not having nowhere to go and like being in that space together. And that space together keeping us safe, I guess, from all of the influences that were around. Because as Yomi says, like, those influences were close at hand and like friends were getting caught up, wrapped up. Exactly those things were happening. So like the time I came into listening to Grime was like a moment in which I started to define for myself what, what my path in life would be. Like Brand New Day by Dizzy Rascal is like a high watermark for me of like how, to, how you decide how you're going to move in life. Like it has one line, there's a lot of hostility near my ends. Yeah, it just, it made sense to me to connect with these MCs who were, even though sometimes they were like celebrating the violence and braggadocio, they were also looking for some ways out of it as well. And even that celebration, if you find artful ways to do it, that's a way out as well, because the art separates it a little bit. Because, yeah, the art makes it into some kind of object that you can look at and like you can admire the artistry and you don't have to fight. You can just be like, okay, you spun me lyrically, you spun me. <laughs> and I feel like, yeah, that's, that's when it came into my life, like as an alternative pathway, almost. Yeah. Question at the front. Hello. I've been thinking a lot about this word literature, this idea of literature. I couldn't read for a long time because I'm dyslexic, we know now. And I learned to read and write really through grime. And you also keep using this word embodiment. And that that's really, I'm also a dancer, right? So this sense of this, these words that lived in the body. And actually what's been really interesting, just coming back from Nigeria, seeing Yoruba poetry and thinking, oh, that makes sense. That vocalization that comes from the body and how in the West we have separated the body from the language and made it literature. And I've been thinking about this idea of neuroqueering, being neurodifferent, my brain being different. And even our idea of reading, actually... Academics don't agree on what reading even means. What is Braille? What is, we haven't got a consistent idea of what reading is. So I'm just really interested to know in what that journey has been for you. Because I feel like we've all kind of been through this journey where at a point we felt pressured for whatever reason to separate this history, this genesis we had of this embodied language that made so much sense and the page. And you guys are like forging, you know, I look at you for 
forging the way of integrating those worlds, but what journey that's been for you, where it's felt really joyful and easy, and maybe where it's been more difficult? Um, I think, yeah, thank you. You know, the difficulties are early doors when I'm trying to get at a seat at a table, where I'm trying to be accepted in poetry, where I'm thinking that, oh, I need to learn the perfect sonnet in order for me to kind of make it in to the in crowd and not be considered a spoken word artist. So I need to learn all of this stuff and blah, 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 blah. And I just found that it was limiting everything that I wanted to really do. Really geeky moment. To get up here, you need to get like a, on an escalator to get in the Museum of London, right? Right by the top, there's a beat that happens. Like, it's, cr- it's really creaky escalators. It looks like it's about to fall. But as I'm going up, it's, it's got like a... And immediately, I'm just like, that's a beat. No, but it's immediately, I'm hearing the repetition of this happen as it's going up, 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 up. And then I get off. I swear to you, you can go all the way down and test it as you're coming back up again and really tune into it. And it's like a... And this is how my brain works. Just that this is how my brain is going to work in terms of just like, I'm making something musical from something that just can just be any given sound. Where the limits and the difficulties were, were that I can't think in that way no, you just don't. No, you just don't want to think that way. You want to have like a streamlined way of thinking. And I guess I had to believe in my own voice in order for me to think as weird as possible. Because the weirdest thoughts, the weirdest thoughts, have never let me down in terms of what it leads to in terms of craft. And even if it doesn't work, it, right there, it doesn't mean I can't pocket it for me to return back to. So I think. What I've done recently in the last five or so years is just allow freedom within myself to be as creative as possible. And I keep saying to close friends, this is the most creative I've felt this year. I've never felt as creative as I have this year. I swear to you, it's so much fun. It's tiring, but it's so much fun because it's given me the room to not feel like I can be limited in terms of my own artistry, you know? So yeah, that for me, the difficulties were the pigeons in terms of the pigeonholing of form and all of these different things when I was looking to burst out of all of that. I feel like the ongoing difficulty is in maybe like translating or transcribing one form of creativity to serve the patterns or traditions of another. Like I've collaborated before with a dancer called Sean Graham and he's a dancer and he's also a poet. And the way we went about collaborating and writing was so much in the body. Like, he would ask me, like, where was that located in your body? How does that come out? And, like, it wasn't like we were making movements to illustrate the words. The two were, like, conceived in tandem. So I guess the thing about being integrated or trying to be more integrated is trying even to change the way the work is made in the first place. So, like, not I sit at a desk and I type into a computer all the time like that's not that's not the only space in which I get ideas and often when I try and force that relationship to writing is when I come up against blockages and it's when like I get as many ideas for writing like on a bicycle I don't know washing the dishes oddly it's another one and it's just like trying to find ways of composition that work with the different states the body can be in because sit, like sitting at a desk is nice if the you know if the chair's comfortable and you got your little <laughs> slippers and whatever else but <laughs> but like life isn't lived sat at a desk there's so much of life 
outside of that structure. And if, if the way we make art doesn't embrace that, then the art will always be like removed from these situations. Like what happens when, what happens if you go to a birthday party and you go out raving for the first time in ages and you write a poem there on the dance floor? Like I'm interested to see. And just to add cross-genre stuff. So I don't want to create an echo chamber of just reading poetry or just poetry collections. There's an art installation down the road that seems a bit out there, but I just go to it. There's this album that's really cool. It's not the genre that you would normally listen to, but just have a listen to it and see what happens. Mm. I think a lot is happening. Just Jill Scott is one of the most biggest inspiring albums, her first album. Because I was like, hey, Jill, you just kind of just sit into a, sitting, to having a conversation, going shopping, and then you're speaking to the staff, and you take a sniff of like, you, you sniff a cologne, and you're just like, I forgot the name. What's the name? Oh my God, Jill Scott first album, people. Raheem! <laughs> Raheem! Such an interesting interlude, but it just speaks so much tension. You're, you're, you're going, you're shopping, you, you take a sniff, you sniff, and you sniff. Raheem, tension. And I'm like, if that can happen in 30 seconds, what can I write in a poem? And that, this is from an R&B singer, this is from a neo-soul singer, an amazing writer, but she could have written that and she could have sang that, but she chose to do it in the way she done it. And for me, I'm like, how do I do just that? And that is from an album that I didn't ever think that I can take some inspiration from. But it's powers, absolute powers, but yeah. I was in a dance once with someone that was writing poetry in the dance, and then at the bus stop afterwards, he decided to recite it to all of us. It was, but it was actually, <laughs> why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? No, it's no, no, you first of all, it wasn't it's just me, I wasn't by it. myself. It's, just, it's the way you done it. No. You're like poets, 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 man, they take, poets take themselves way too serious in life. So and it was like, thing. this is like 4 a.m. in Peckham as well. I shall write it and you shall listen. I respect that, you know. I, respect, was, yeah. I respect the audacity. <laughs> but the poem was was pretty good. It was just a bit too mm. deep for four a.m. in Peckham. But it was a good, it was a decent poem. So go to go write some, write some poems enough, and it? That's a Drake title right there. <laughs> I think I think that's the end. Thank you all so much for coming. Thank you to the Museum of London and Royal Society of Literature for even just allowing us to have this conversation. It's been really fun for me. So I hope it's been fun for you guys, but it's been fun for me. (laughs) Crack Audio.